everybody. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. And I want to welcome you to this 19th Annual National Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcast series. We're doing this in collaboration with the Health Sector Coordinating Council and all of its leaders and members. Super excited to get this off the ground with our next amazing leaders in cybersecurity and healthcare. I want to start by introducing them to you here. First, I want to introduce Deborah Brummer. She's a senior manager at the Mayo Clinic with the Office of Information Security. She's accountable for leading a team to address cybersecurity resiliency for foundational assets such as servers, workstations, applications, IoT devices, and maintain secure identity and access management practices, as well as uphold security principles and network segmentation. She is uh, an extraordinary contributor in the area of cybersecurity, and I'm excited to have her on the podcast today. In addition, I also have the outstanding Chris Reed, who's Director of Digital Health and Product Security Policy at Medtronic. He leads and advises Medtronic product security strategy for product submissions and as a leader of the product securities office executive leadership team. Previously, he spent over 21 years with Eli Lilly and company, including building Lilly's product security program, supporting digital health. He's actively engaged as a leader in many medical device security and digital health industry initiatives, such as the MDIC Cybersecurity Working Group, Health ISAC Medical Device Security Information Sharing and Coordination Advisory Committee, as, as a co-lead for the Health Sector Coordinating Council, MedTech Cybersecurity Task Group, and many others. Finally, I want to introduce our third guest on the podcast, Dr. Afton Ross. She is a senior special advisor for emerging initiatives in the Office of Strategic Partnerships and Technology Innovation at the FDA Center for Device and Radiological Health. In this role, she provides leadership and coordination within the center on a range of emerging public health issues, including medical device, cybersecurity, respiratory protective devices, personal protective equipment, and incident response. Dr. Ross completed her graduate work from the University of Michigan, earning a master's and PhD in biomedical engineering. It's such a privilege to have you all here on the podcast. Welcome to today's episode. And so with that intro, I am so excited to welcome Deborah, Chris, and Afton to the podcast. Welcome, y'all. Thank you. Thank you for having Thanks, us. Thanks, It's great to be here. It is such a pleasure to have you guys here, and 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 the work that that this team is doing is is really just fantastic. Um, the opportunity for so many organizations and leaders in in healthcare to have the resources that you're producing are are is just it's it's fantastic. So thank you for doing what you do. Why don't we start with Deborah? What what what's the cybersecurity issue with medical devices? Well, Saul, thanks for asking that question. Um, starting maybe at more just some general thoughts, thinking about how medical devices have transitioned from historically knobs and dials to um, being built on more standard technology with defined end of, ends of life. That that's kind of a, a background that that bear in mind as we talk about medical devices. While at the same time we're transitioning to to more standard technology, devices are also being um, placed on um, health care networks. And uh, the primary reason for that is to improve clinical workflow and, and patient outcomes. While at the same time, these, these two significant changes in medical devices are happening, 
HDOs typically will retain and use medical devices longer than the technology um, useful life. So when you think of a Windows operating system today, it's set for 10 years. Microsoft says that. Yet as a healthcare organization, we may go out and buy a piece of medical equipment and plan to use it for a longer lifespan. So as you think about that, this creates security gaps and, and a couple of really specific cybersecurity issues that result from that is really the inability to apply patches rapidly in order to ensure patient safety. And another um, specific security issue relates to the inability to, to install and use standard security tools. Thank you, Deborah. And, and you know, it is, it, it is definite. There's so many things that, that can happen. And having a plan to actually tackle that is, is, is huge. And folks, I want to remind everyone that uh, if you look in the show notes of today's podcast, you'll find a link to the medical device and health IT joint security plan. That plan, we're going to be covering the details of that plan and how it could help you and your organization with the, the work and the, and the gaps that, that Deborah just highlighted. Um, and so how do we make these devices more secure? Maybe Afton, Chris, would love to hear from you guys. I'm happy to start. So first, let me just say that medical device cybersecurity um, for medical device manufacturers, it's not optional. It is a requirement, and it's a requirement for exactly the reason that Deborah articulated. It is a patient safety issue. But we recognize that it's a complex um, ecosystem. It's a complex space. And so we really do need to have collaboration in this area, especially because for medical device cybersecurity to make things more secure, we have to think about it across the total product life cycle. So from the time that the device is in a concept phase, we're actually designing it, we're thinking about what we want that function to look like all the way through to um, being used in the hospital and even in that those end of life stages that Deborah talked about. And so if you're not thinking about cybersecurity at each phase of that life cycle, you're not going to have the most robust device possible. And so it's very important for us to have these different work groups and things that the HSCC and other international efforts provide to help us think about how we can enhance those cybersecurity best practices across the life cycle. Thank you, Afton. Yeah, and 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 it's it's so great to to have this this cross section across FDA industry and and provider organizations. Uh, how about from the industry side, Chris? Thoughts there? How do we make them more secure? Yeah, I mean, I will definitely uh, add on to that. You know, a lot of times when as as a medical device manufacturer, as we're designing a device, and you know, we we of course take pride in our work and our our. Our, if you will, our viewpoint is our device. It's our baby, and we we want to make it very uh, effective at what it does. And and honestly, um, I, I would say I'm quite proud as a manufacturer some of the technology that we do to deliver to patients to improve you know pain management or some condition of complex situations you know between pacemakers or insulin pumps or you know imaging to diagnose. You know, there's some amazing technology there, but. One of the things that this collaboration helps um, surface is helping manufacturers to think more about how our devices end up operating out in the environment that they are, are integrated into. And often we don't appreciate it, it, the full complexity of, you know, imagine any room that you walked into a doctor's office or a hospital room, an ER room even, right? If you scan around the room, you'll see at least five or six different devices. And the manufacturers definitely don't need, you know, this collaboration helps us have a better picture of exactly what the um, healthcare delivery 
teams need to have in order to effectively manage, you know, potentially hundreds, if not thousands of different types of devices that need to interoperate and work together and stay secure in this complex environment. And so it's just this collaboration to make sure that we are sharing our different needs across, um, you know, as builders, as, as implementers, and that we're, we're helping support each other managing the unique risks that we might have. Um, the other thing I want to comment on is on the total product life cycle. You know, there's definitely a shift happening. Uh, Deborah mentioned this, right? But more and more things are being connected. You know, traditional de medical devices have not necessarily, they've been more hardware focused, not connected. We have more and more software. And one of the things we're working through in partnership with the FDA as well is how do we change these life cycles so that we can keep pace with the pace of change that needs to happen? You know, Deborah me mentioned the patches, like, what is a reasonable time frame that, um, you know, we probably don't want to be taking down, you know, a key medical device in a hospital like every week to do maintenance and patching. Um, but at the same time, we can't wait so long that it's potentially causing a safety issue for the, the, the patients in that hospital. And so through this collaboration, we're working through what, what, what do those patterns look like and how can we find the right balance of speed? but also manage patient safety and not try to do things too fast or we actually cause issues with safety because we're taking things down. And so that's the, that's the point of the collaboration is to work through those issues. Saul, if I could add one comment to this, yeah, to this please. topic and, and maybe just in an um, example that's going to be up and coming. So if we think about how, how all three of us within the industry play a role in looking at uh, windows 10 going end of life, for example, um, when I think about an, a man, medical device manufacturer, they need to begin thinking now about what are they going to do with the Windows 10 device going end of life and, and how do we manage that? And as a healthcare organization, as I'm thinking about purchasing these pieces of, of um, really vital uh, equipment in the use of our care delivery, you know, what, what are our purchase decisions around the long-term sustainability as, as we look at buying these assets? And then the FDA should be thinking about considering what do we do with new product submissions as, as we get closer to that that uh, Windows 10 end of life. So, so I think these are conversations we have in these cross-industry groups and we each do play a role. Yeah, no, appreciate that, Deborah, and I, I think that's uh, it's vital. These these things have gone from islands to connected devices. I mean, and they they all, I mean, they all have to at least connect to the EMR. Uh, and, and so we're we're working with devices that are no longer standalone, and these collaborations uh, are, are super key. What what are some other examples of uh, of successful collaboration that that have improved security? Well, if it's if it's okay, I'll I'll start in. Yeah, uh, that'd be great. You know, as I look in the rearview mirror, Mayor, Mayo Clinic um, began in earnest with a focused medical device security program back in 2015, and the industry collaboration has improved immensely since that point in time. So I applaud everyone in the industry, all the all three of us as um, partners. Previously, one example that, that I can share um, that, that has been a, a significant improvement is how medical device manufacturers have begun to be more open and transparent about vulnerabilities in their products. And um, while this is great, I do think we, we still have some, some improvements to make. 
And, um, you know, just as far as a, an example, last month we received a vendor notification we never would have received, you know, five years back, highlighting a high-risk vulnerability in a product and giving us solutions and options as to what, what we as a healthcare delivery organization can do to protect our patients while we, while we wait for a patch. Um, the one thing that I would maybe highlight here is really the fact that we, we do still tend to hear um, we can continue to use these devices. However, a patch isn't going to be eminent for maybe six to 10 months, but we can continue to use it. And if we do, take it off the network. So thinking about that, that tends to be a challenge in the uh, delivery of care for patients because these products are bought with the intention of being network connected. So thinking along that lines, um, it, 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 that's where our opportunity for continued collaboration between all of us players in the industry really needs to, to um, um, continue to expand. And I consider this just like thinking about an elevator in a 20-story building and telling people not to use it and walk up the stairs. You know, th there's a lot of manual processes that come around as a result of removing that device from the network. Yeah, well said. Uh, would hate to be on floor 20 of that one. And I <laughs> <Me too. laughs> probably need a Zold defibrillator by the time I got it. <laughs> at the end of that. And, and you know, I mean, uh, truthfully, our clinicians are at floor 20. And, and, and when something like that happens, it's a big inconvenience. Uh, and having a plan is key. A great, great example. I, I love that, Deborah. Afton, how about you? What are your thoughts? Examples of collaboration, successful collaboration? No, absolutely. So certainly we have been at FDA, a champion of collaboration um, from the very beginning, but we recognize from working with our industry partners that even if FDA could make strides in the different pre and post market policies that we were putting out, the best practices that we were advocating, we were not going to have the reach that we wanted to have because last time I checked, cybersecurity bits and bytes don't know national borders. Um, and so it definitely is an international challenge. And what we were hearing from a lot of our multi-national um, industry partners was that even though FDA was being forward-leaning in its approach, that there were still needs internationally as well. And so there is an existing um, organization, the International Medical Device Regulators Forum, that actually exists to help accelerate convergence, adoption, and key areas of medical device challenge. And so cybersecurity was recognized as being one of those. And so back in um, 2020, actually, we published the very first International Medical Device Regulators Forum Cybersecurity Guidance. Um, and it was such a hot topic. It was new, known to be so important that the guidance was done in 14, 15 months. And anyone who can tell you that doing a guidance for one country um, in that amount of time would have been, you know, outstanding. But to do that on an international scale was really exceptional because everyone recognized Amazing. that there were just basic best practices that we just needed to start doing and we needed to start doing it, you know, right away. And we've been able to build on that um, and also are working on some of those uh, challenges that Deborah brought up in her intro about what some of the primary challenges are with some of the um, outdated um, software and products that you can't actually update to be reasonably protected. So we're actually doing some legacy work in the international space right now as well. It will be very complementary to some of the legacy work that the Healthcare Sector Coordinating Council is actually doing here in the U.S. as well. Afton, that's extraordinary. Thanks for highlighting that. And <clears throat> I, I think it would be phenomenal if 
if that's if that's an accessible resource that we share that with today's listeners in the show notes. Is that something we could get to them? Yes, we can definitely share the awesome. final guidance that was released in 2020 and even the draft um, for the legacy, the finals being worked on right now. Oh man, that's so great. And and again, folks, I, I want to just remind everyone, you know, um, uh, we're stronger together. I think uh, Greg Garcia kicked us off with the message here at the first, the first podcast we did. No one person is stronger than all of us. And this goes beyond the U.S. We're going international with the work uh, Afton and team are, are, are doing. And we'll provide that to you so that you could take action from this podcast to, to implement into your organization. Uh, Chris, how about you? Any, any, any thoughts on uh, successful collaboration? Yeah, I mean, so we'll kind of pivot a little bit. So I think one of the documents we want to talk about from HSCC, and that is the joint security plan. And I just want to emphasize why the word, you know, Joint security plan is kind of a, uh, a strange title for a document, right? But the, the the whole point of choosing that term was to talk about how it was this partnership between manufacturers and healthcare delivery. And um, it is actually primarily focused towards um, manufacturers, but it but it has that voice of the um, healthcare delivery organizations in, in it as well. And so it's really meant to be, there's all these amazing resources out there, like Afton's mentioned with the IMDRF guidance and, um, you know, there's risk management standards for cybersecurity and threat modeling resources. And a lot of what the joint security plan is meant to be is kind of a roadmap for manufacturers specifically on if you had a product security program, what are the different components you should have and what are the resources available to you um, to implement it? I can tell you, I've, uh, in my past, I, I used to work for Eli Lilly and Company, and I built their product security program. We were working on insulin pumps and connected insulin pens, and it was it was a great resource because I was trying to convince my leadership of what resources and processes we need to invest in. And right around that time, this joint security plan got published, and I was able to um, use that to essentially um, uh, inform. And, and basically, you know, it wasn't just me trying to convince my leadership, look, this is a practice everyone else is trying to implement as well. And of course, I was even able to inform a little bit of my thinking on it. And so it became an amazing resource for me. And that's really what we're intending to do is how do we make this? It's not a simple thing to do to do all this work, but we want to try to simplify it as much as possible and build consistency as well as um, common expectations that travel between the two. That's great, Chris. Thank you. And you know, the topic during our discussions of uh, organization size has come up, you know, and, and what are, and what are the organization's capabilities, small versus large? Are these, is this joint security plan something that could be scaled up or down? Yeah, we spend a lot of time thinking about that. Um, we are, uh, maybe one thing I'll plug here a little bit is we, we recently actually did a, a benchmarking survey from the so the first joint security plan was released back in 2019 in this in uh, in the summer um actually since the beginning of the year we've been trying to collect data from companies of all sizes including how big they were on like how many of the practices they've implemented and um it, it is meant to try it we try to leave language out of it that makes implies that you have to be a large organization so as an example um large organizations might have entire teams that run a a certain process, um, yes. whereas a small organization has part of a person, right? Um, so we try to stay out of to where we require like written procedures for everything and things like that. 
Um, but at the same time, we do have to acknowledge that in the medical device space, we're typically working within, um, uh, you know, quality system regulations that require some amount of documentation. And so um, we try to find that balance to like, hey, you should be doing this practice, but we try to be, um, you know, give a guide, but be silent on exactly how that might happen in, in an organization, um, not to expect or imply it. One of the interesting findings we did have, though, a couple things from that benchmarking, and that report is actually due to come out very soon. Um, uh, it, I might be able to provide that link as well, based on the, depending on the timing. Um, but there were two things. One, we found out the size of the organization didn't really impact the maturity scores, which was interesting. Mm. Um, what really impacted it that, that will get driven home in the report is having an accountable named leader that owned making sure security was implemented in the product. And so that's one of the things that, you know, we drive home with the joint security plan is having a named, you know, accountable leader um, that is in charge of making sure all these practices are mature enough based on the context of the, that specific organization. Yeah, that's it. That's great. Have have somebody be the leader. And the same same thing came up when we were talking about emergency preparedness. Having that designated person, if the lights go out, that is going to be the air traffic coordinator, the leader on this. That accountability is powerful. Thank you, Chris. And, and so joint that you know implies collaboration. So. Um, Deborah, what what does the joint security plan have uh, just to help enable collaboration and improving security? I, I think I'd just like to, to kind of expand a little bit upon what uh, Chris was was sharing and highlight really the power of bringing cross industry players together. So it it affords all of us to bring forward our expertise, our thoughts, our challenges. To, to a central place so that we can come up with, with what I would deem um, recommendations and even go so far as to say maybe expectations within the space of medical device security. And um, I, I really look at this from, from an investment perspective. As a, as a healthcare delivery organization, along with a medical device manufacturer and the FDA, we're all bringing our our focuses and expertise together. And it, it's really easy for us to sometimes just talk about and say, hey, there's there's insecurity in these devices. But it's it can be more challenging to come together and roll up your seat, sleeves and try to propose up solutions and, and um, ways to protect our patients. And that's really the value of what I see in the joint security plan. While a lot of the work really resides on the part of the manufacturer because they're developing the products that a healthcare delivery organization is providing, we, we are adding in um, from a healthcare delivery organization, our, our perspectives, our, our thoughts, our needs, our, our layering on um, how those devices are used in, in the delivery of that care. And, and I believe that's important and um, it, it just leads to even more secure medical devices that the manufacturers are developing. Yeah, and having clarity there is is key, and and a, and a proper guidance uh, could be a huge benefit. So, Deborah, yeah, thank you so much, and and you know, having having this this transparency, clarity, and what is exactly is needed is key, no matter how small or large the organization is. So, um, you know, this has really uh, been a lot of fun. We've got one question left here. 
Afton, this one is for you. Is the joint security plan required by the FDA? So as Chris very well articulated, um, the JSP is a best practice guide, um, and it definitely provides a lot of insights into a range of medical device cybersecurity considerations across that total product life cycle. Um, however, it's not a requirement. Um, it is an industry best practice. Um, it is also relevant to other resources that the HSCC has put out, again, that could be used um, to help in to help the ecosystem in trying to demonstrate that they do have good medical device cybersecurity across the TPLC, but it's not an explicit requirement. Good to know. And, uh, and an opportunity for, for folks to have a pathway to, to gain faster approvals, hopefully, Afton, fingers crossed. <laughs> so, so certainly if you have good security and you can articulate that in your engagements with the agency, that can certainly help you as you are going through, you know, your pre-market process, um, whether that be for a 510K or a PMA um, product. And again, a, a lot of the different resources and things that the HSCC, you know, puts out, if you follow those general best practices, you're going to be in a much better um, position um, than you would be perhaps if you didn't leverage some of the resources, the lessons learned um, from others um, in the ecosystem to help you, you know, make sure that you're maintaining cybersecurity where it needs to be to ensure, again, patient safety. That's at the center for every thing um, that all of us are trying to do is to try to make sure that patients have safe, effective devices that are also secure. That's fantastic. Th thank you so much, Afton. And, and I want to say thank you to, to you, Deborah, as well as Chris for your collaboration here. And folks, I think you could rest assured and know that the cross-functional groups in our country are working to make medical devices safer safer for patients and safer for our health systems uh, to make sure that we're delivering on the promise of, of patient care um, that our country makes for the people that live and breathe here. Um, I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode. And before we close, I'd love to give all of our guests an opportunity to give all of us a call to action and then the best place where we could follow them and learn more about their work. So why don't we go ahead and kick that off with Afton since you, uh, had the last question there. Sure. So I'm going to emphasize, I think, the general point of our overall talk, which is, you know, collaboration really is key. Um, we're not going to get to where we want to be, nor are we going to get there at the speed that we want to get there. There's always opportunities, as Deborah has said, you know, for improvement and acceleration if we don't work together and we don't collaborate. My secondary point um, is eat our, our number one objective is patient safety, right? But that does not mean that security and innovation have to be at a cross crossroads. You can actually have both. And there are lots of innovations we can actually do to enhance security. Um, if you would like to um, learn a little bit more about what FDA is doing, we do have um, a medical device cybersecurity webpage. If you were just to Google um, FDA medical device cybersecurity, it'd be probably the top hit. Um, and there's a lot of great resources there that we've worked with others um, and industry on to provide um, to the ecosystem. Thank you so much, Afton. Appreciate that call to action. Um, Deborah. Yeah, um, Afton did such a wonderful job there. Um, the, the thing that I would add on for my call to action is regardless of organizational size or maturity in the space of um, cybersecurity, I, I just say there, there's opportunities to get involved. 
And um, if your organization doesn't have the bandwidth to get involved, reach out to others, others in your industry. So reach out to, if you're a medical device manufacturer, reach out to Chris and others who are heavily involved. If you're a healthcare delivery organization, feel free to reach out to me as well. Um, and uh, I, I know I've had several calls with HDOs in the past or healthcare delivery organizations in the past and, and shared um, what I can with them to help them advance their, their cause. Because again, as I often said, everything is focused in on the patient and, and um, it's patients everywhere. Thank you, Deborah. And last but not least, Chris. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I probably, as I'm listening to this, these are all great comments. Um, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a, a colleague of ours on the more on the security researcher side, Josh Corman. You know, he he runs a group called I Am the Calvary that talks about when bits and bites meet flesh and blood and the concern of just this, it's really important and essential what we're doing. And I guess commenting a little bit on what Deborah said, that my call to action would be, you know, we need to improve. So if your organization is one that hasn't started the work yet, use the JSP to get started. Um, if you're someone that's, that's in the work and trying to figure out how to do it better, come get involved. Um, there's a lot of opportunity to do it. We're making a lot of progress, but we need to move and continue to move faster to make sure we we secure keep this environment both secure and safe um you know i just i think we i know i um you know it, it continually am engaged I, I work definitely extra hours and i am I, i'm happy to do it because um you know i know it really matters to people and patients at the end this technology really does amazing things for people but we need to make sure it doesn't end up being a point of uh, weakness or causing harm and so that's it's really just evaluate your place in that process and, and figure out how to get engaged to just help make um, this environment better. And as far as where to contact me, um, I think on LinkedIn, you can look up Chris Reed or C-H-R-R-E-E-D. The same thing on Twitter, if you want to get a hold of me there. And then lastly, uh, you can check out the Medtronic product security page for some resources. Uh, Medtronic.com slash security will get you there. Love it. Thank you, Chris, Afton, and Deborah. Um, the work you guys are doing is meaningful and impactful. There are bad actors out there that want to take advantage of, of uh, just these, these openings. And the work that you're doing is making us stronger. So thank you all for what you're doing. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. A reminder, again, everything that we discussed today on this episode is available in the show notes. So check those links out take action because that's where the magic happens. Appreciate all you guys today. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much. Appreciate you having us on. 